Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> Repetitive compulsive behaviors is what our topic is of today. Now, some disorders are classified as impulse control disorders, while some have their own classifications, such as eating disorders. Now, I don't want people to get confused with impulse control disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. So I want to actually explain the differences between these two. So an impulse control disorder is somebody that is unable to resist an impulse that is harmful to the person involved in the behavior or others, but it started out as pleasurable. Also, usually there's a rising sense of tension or arousal before committing the act, followed by gratification, pleasure, and then guilt over the consequences of the behavior. Now, obsessive compulsive disorder is engaging in a repetitive activity, but not for pleasure, but to reduce anxiety that's caused by obsessive thinking or obsessive thoughts. Addictive behaviors alter brain chemistry in very similar ways as a psychoactive drugs do. And the reasons why people engage in a compulsive behaviors are really the same reasons why people engage in compulsive drug use. You got to get a rush, overcoming boredom, um, forgetting problems, controlling anxiety and depression and to alter their state of consciousness. Now my guest today is Patrick Chester, who has struggled with a behavioral addiction that has destroyed millions of lives and I want you to stay tuned, and I'll see you in a minute. My name is Eric McCoy, and it is time to get high while clean. Now, I want, to, I want to give a quick thing. This is actually a take two, as my guest and I talked for almost an hour yesterday before I realized that we weren't recording. <laughs> but I had done a podcast on behavioral addictions and probably about seven months ago. And I discussed how closely they intertwined within substance abuse and all the symptoms of behavioral addictions and chemical addictions according to the DSM-5, are exactly the same, except one, tissue dependency. Now, as we had recorded yesterday, I had kind of explained a little bit in terms of the similarities. And specifically today, we are going to talk about gambling. Now, drug users have a compulsion to use as they think about it most of the time. You know, there's a tolerance as they need more to get the similar effects. Withdrawal, when they stop, um, you know, the individual will continue to use despite negative consequences, which is at the core of chemical dependency. They also have a strong tendency to use, again, after quitting, what we call relapse. 
Now, when the word using is replaced with gambling, we can see that compulsion is not limited to psychoactive substances. Compulsive gamblers think about gambling most of the time. That's compulsion. Tolerance, as they increase their bets, many of them get restless and discontent when they're not gambling, which is what we would probably classify as psychological withdrawal. They will continue gambling regardless of how much they lose. They go into denial as they believe that they can control it. And just as relapse occurs with a lot of people with substance abuse, a lot will maybe return to gambling if they have money in their pocket. The specific behavioral addiction is a symptom of the illness. And the illness is, is what we would classify as addiction. And my guest today, Patrick Chester, is probably what we can call a recovering pathological gambler, which adds the element from a problem gambler of obsessive persistence, which is a continual and significant disruption in probably most, if not all areas of his life. He spent 15 years as a gambling addict. He has lost millions and destroyed his family. How does someone do this? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Patrick, I want to thank you for joining me today. Eric, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. You know, I'm excited about this. And, you know, I was, we were talking yesterday and, you know, I have one of my students as we talk about um, this in my class and we go into behavioral addictions um, along with the obviously chemical abuse. And so one of my students is actually very excited to hear this podcast uh, because he had a lot of questions related to this, you know, but compulsive gambling is a progressive disease, just like with chemical abuse. And, and then the main difference, of course, between the problem and the pathological gambler is time and money. How did you accumulate the money to be able to lose millions of dollars? You know, Eric, it started, you know, I, I was working for myself as a, as a contractor, you know, back around, uh, you know, 2009, 2010 is really when I started doing that. And before that, you know, I worked, I had a regular job like everybody else. And so I wasn't until I started working for myself, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the, the, the avenues, so to speak, to, to, to get the big money that I needed to gamble with towards the end, towards the last five, six, seven years. But at that point I was, I was accepting large checks from customers. You know, they were giving me 15, 20, $30,000 checks for deposits for big projects. And to a gambling addict, you know, what's the drug to me, it was money, you know, and somebody hands a gambling addict $30,000. That's a challenge, you know? And so that's, you know, for a while there, that's how I was getting my, my money to gamble. You know, now, initially, when most people, um, you know, go into this type of addiction, normally it starts out as pleasurable. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, there's nothing that we would ever do repetitively to continue doing unless it started out as pleasurable and enjoyable. 
And when you started this, when you had kind of got into gambling, what was that like for you as far as the pleasure involved? Was it a big win that took you to that place of compulsion or being a problem gambler? Yeah, I think, I think that was the thrill of it initially, you know, uh, whether it was $200 or $300. I, I remember, you know, probably would have been around the early 2000s. I think I hit up, I was a sports better primarily. I, I bet on, on, on sports, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. I hit a, a parlay. I remember $900. It paid me about $900 and, and that sucked me in. I think it was, it was moments, it was, you know, moments like that early on when I was, you know, playing with maybe a hundred dollars here or $200 there, but an eight or $900 win at the time was a big deal to me. And that, that sucked me in for sure. Now, is it something that you don't really think about in terms of loss? I had, I got a guy that I know who he came to me one day and he showed me his end, you know, he got his tax stuff from the casino that he would, you know, gamble with, uh, which was Pachanga. And he showed me the form as like if he was really excited and I was looking at it and I was reading it. He won $1.2 million but was $95,000 in the negatives. <laughs> and is that something that really you think about? I mean, is it, I, and I was really contemplating this, that, you know, if I'm out there gambling and I'm winning money, right? I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm winning money. Then I start losing money. And then I have to go get more money. And then you sort of lose track of how much you're, where you're actually at. Are you in the up or are you in the down? <laughs> So what happened to me, Eric, was I, we just talked about, you know, the, the, the thrill early on, you know, and I, I, it's somewhere in there, probably around 2005, somewhere around that time frame, I crossed over from, you know, what could be considered maybe a problem gambler to a compulsive gambler. And it's, it's like you just described, you know, it's, it's, the wins and the losses to me were almost irrelevant it, it, it because you're you, even when I, even when I won, all I was going to do was just double it up again on something else until I lost. It becomes this repetitive cycle where, you know, the thrill of it is, is almost the thrill is, is placing the bet, doing the homework. At least that's what it was for me, researching this and finding, okay, I want to bet 1500 on this. And then once the game's over, whether I won or lost, it was almost anticlimactic, you know, it was because I knew that eventually I was just going to lose that money, <laughs> you know, and then it becomes this, then when I'm out of money, then it becomes this game of chase and this game of, of hustle where I'm trying to convince customers to trust me, to give me a check for 10 or 15 grand so that I can continue this pattern. Yeah. Now you had evolved into crime. That's <laughs> correct. You went from the problem gambler to the pathological gambler to the criminal. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me, you know, and I didn't realize we, it, my mind was so clouded. It, it, I was so detached from reality that I couldn't really process what I was doing. I knew it was wrong, but in our mind, in the gambler's mind, compulsive gambler's mind, we have a way of rationalizing every decision we make. We have a way, at least I did. I always convinced myself, well, I may accept fifteen or $20,000 from this person. 
but I'm not going to take it and just hit the road. I'm going to honor my word with them because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that money and I'm going to double it up over here by winning or gambling and play, you know, put it all on a game over here. I'm just going to win more and I'm going to pay them off. You know, and so it becomes this, this vicious cycle where we can convince ourselves of just about anything we want to. Yeah, and so you got arrested for embezzling funds. <clears throat> so what I did, yeah, so what happened, what happened was I was, again, you know, I was accepting money from customers. And then it becomes this, the narrative was, well, this is just a shady contractor. You hear about these people all the time. Some guy, some guy shows up at your door and says he can do a job and, and you write him a check and you never see him again. And that was that, that's what people were starting to say about me when in fact, that wasn't it at all. But, you know, it, it ended up going to the state and the prosecutors and eventually, yes, eventually I was charged with um, two counts of first degree theft for this. And it's ended up, you know, being sentenced to, to jail because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the true definition, again, you know, of, of, you know, again, if we're talking about chemical abuse or behavioral abuse, is the continuing to use despite negative consequences. Bad things happen, but you're always seeking that pleasure. You know, you're always seeking that enjoyment, maybe, of what you remembered or what it used to be like. And now you had brought up, too, that, that you had basically destroyed your family. And, and so, and then, and then, uh, but your, but your wife knew nothing about it. I remember us talking about that. Yeah. So my wife was in the dark, you know, there were a lot of red flags. We were married back in 2006. And so from that point until 2015, when this all blew up and I ended up going to treatment and then eventually jail. So that's a long stretch of time. You know, that's nine, almost 10 years. And she knew that I gambled a little bit here and there, but she had no idea. There were a lot of red flags going on. There were, you know, bill collectors calling. There were sheriffs um, showing up at her work and serving her with papers that she had no idea. You know, had she had no idea what they were about. <clears throat> and they were, it was all related to me and my, you know, my behaviors and my choices and things I was doing behind the scenes that she didn't know anything about. And so, you know, she always had questions, but she never really could pinpoint what the root of it was. And there wasn't concerns behind uh, like having no money. <laughs> was that? Well, you know, I was able to, I was able to, to, to cover it up really, you know, I, until the very end, you know, and well, until the last couple of years when we lost our house and, and, you know, ended up having to rent a house and got kicked out of there and ended up living at my in-laws house. You know, I was always able to borrow money from somebody or find money somewhere or like we just talked about, results, resort to criminal activities to get money. You know, I did everything short of robbing a bank, you know, and so I was able to cover it up for a long period of time. And as gamblers, compulsive gamblers, we're, we're pretty creative. <laughs> yeah. You know, we could come up with all sorts of scenarios. And, and when we're questioned on something, you know, I was, she, my wife would question me on this stuff all the time, but I was always able to convince her you know, that it wasn't me or there was a mistake or let me handle it. I don't know why the bank froze your account, honey, but let me call them. I'll take care of it. You know, and when you're sometimes, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is how I I think. I think the closer you are to somebody, especially your spouse, you always want to believe them. You always, 
you don't want to believe the worst, you know, when, and if you're removed, if you're detached from that a little bit, sometimes it's easier to recognize what's really going on. Now you, are you still with your wife? Is she? I am. She, uh, that was, I am. We, we have, you know, not only did I, um, start over in 2015 with treatment and then jail. And I've been living a life of recovery ever since I had a marriage to rebuild and she gave me the chance. She wasn't, um, I mean, I, I destroyed her credit. I destroyed the trust obviously between us, all of it was gone and she even lost friends over this. And so, but she did give me the opportunity to gain her trust back. And, you know, in six years, I have, uh, we together have rebuilt our marriage and we have a second son who we didn't have before this, you know, so things are, things are really good. You know, um, looking back six years, it's amazing where, where we're at now. When you're in recovery, you know, obviously we have, you know, so like for me, you know, I'm clean, I'm sober. How do you define that for a gambler? You know, I, I, I always describe it as I've been clean for six years now. You know, I, I, that's how I view it, you know, and another way I describe it is I'm free of the monster of addiction. That was a daily battle that I lived from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed that was exhausting, you know? And so you live that way for, for many, many years, like I did. And to be able to wake up and just take a shower and go to work like most people do and not have to live a lie for the next 16 hours before I go to bed is an amazing feeling. So mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel clean <laughs> and that's how I describe it. I'm living a clean life now. Yeah. And so you went into treatment and, you know, I kind of picture as I have worked with people that have had gambling problems, um, you know, the ideas of the things that you actually do in treatment, which I'm assuming are going to be very similar to what people with substance abuse, you know, working on self-esteem, relapse prevention, you know, and things of that nature. Is that similar to what, what it is? Cause you went to a specific program for gambling. I did, you know, and I think there, you know, if I, if I'm correct, there's, there's only three or four treatment facilities inpatient in this country that are specifically designed for gambling addiction. And I went to one of them um, called project turnabout. It's in Granite Falls, Minnesota. And it's, you know, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, for me, I didn't have any, I didn't have any expectations. I had, my brain was so foggy when I walked into that place, I had no real idea what I was in for. But the first, you know, several days was them trying to explain to me what was going on with me. What, and, and my questions to the, to the professionals and the therapists were, how can, how can I do the things I was, how can I do the things I, I, I'm doing when I know they're wrong? Why am I, why am I doing that? I know they're wrong. I know there are consequences, but I'm still doing them. So I, my opinion of myself was so low. I was convinced that I was a bad person and I had no real idea what was going on inside my head. So basically they had to walk me off the ledge and, and let me decompress and clear my head to understand really what was going on. And how long were you in treatment? It was 30 days, 30 days. Okay. And, and so what were the, what are the things that did you come up with any answers? <laughs> Well, you know, once I started to learn about the, the, the process, 
of addiction and dopamine in the brain and what that does, you know, what that does to your thinking, your choices and, and, and what's going on. Then I really started to figure it out or not figure it out, but I really started to understand it, have a better understanding of what this was, you know, it's, it's for somebody that's a raging gambling addict, like I was, you get to a point where you don't even, you're not even living in the, in reality and you're not understanding why you're doing what you're doing. And so, yeah, we sat down and, and, you know, it was a 12 step based program, which is similar to, you know, a lot of other treatment centers that deal with alcohol or drug addiction. And, you know, I, uh, I bought into it and it slowly, but surely it, it, it gave me, when I left there, I had a plan. I wasn't nearly um, where I am now, obviously, but I had a plan in place and I, and I had the tools to handle what I was going to come across and the things I was going to face down the road. Yeah. And, I, and that's exactly where, you know, that real correlation, you know, hits with drugs and behavioral addiction, dopamine. I mean, that's everything it's about. There's a, you know, reward deficiency, you know, that seeking of pleasure, um, and all, and ultimately, how that eventually starts affecting your prefrontal cortex and your thinking, and and it shuts all that down, you know. Um, yeah, and I had no, I had no idea, Eric. I had no idea what any of that meant at the time, you know. And and now that I'm educated on it, and I know what all the, uh, you know, what's going on in the in the brain, it it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Now you do, uh, I wanted to ask you on uh, like relapse prevention. Now, you know, so obviously for, you know, certain behavioral addictions, obviously it's not about completely giving up everything. Obviously with like eating addictions, you know, you have to eat, (laughs) you know, um, you know, sex addicts, it's always not necessarily about completely giving that up, but I'm assuming with gambling, it is, it's something that you do not even touch. You don't go near, you don't play poker with friends. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't even dabble in it. I, it, to me, the way I look in my mind, I have a relapse in me, but I don't have another recovery. in me, And that's how I, that's how I look at this. I, I, I can't go down that road again because of where it took me before. And it scares the hell out of me. And so I have, you know, I, I've had moments, not as much, now but early on in my recovery where i did have thoughts of gambling and you get that delusional um thinking going again and you got to snap yourself out of it and and i have the tools and and the you know the the the, what i learned in treatment basically the tools to handle those situations but it's um as i as i say this a lot i like to stay on the edge i don't ever want to get too comfortable with my my recovery i don't want to ever think get to the point where I think that I've got this and I, I've, I'm fixed, I'm over it because I know that if I ever decide to go down that road, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be quick and it's going to be fast and it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. I mean, you kind of described cravings. I mean, that's basically, you know, when you're saying that you think about it, it'll come up and, you know, and so you have cravings, you know, for, uh, you know, for doing it. What are, what are the tools that you gain? Are you a part of the, are you still a member of the 12 step program? I am. Yeah. You know, and early on, one of the, one of the most important things for me was gamblers anonymous, you know, and it still is. I just, I don't go to as many meetings as I used to go to early on, but what that did for me was 
I was able to be around my people, as I describe it, you know, people like me, because when you make the choices I made and you do the things I did, you get to the point where you think there's nobody like me. I mean, nobody would do the things I did to feed my addiction, but then you, you, you surround yourself with the people that understand you because they're living it just like you are. That helped me, you know, and then further along, you know, a couple of years down the road, I was able to help other people. And for somebody that had spent so many years taking from people financially, emotionally, spiritually, to be able to give back and to be able to help somebody is a huge deal to me, you know, and that, that it, it just further solidified my belief in recovery and treatment and the 12 step program, which I, I really do believe in. I like what you said there, because, you know, I look at like with my story, you know, I, I wrote a book called pain, failure, misery, the stepping stones to success. And uh, the first part of the book is, is my story. So it's kind of an autobiography in the very beginning um, that then goes into, you know, healing yourself and, you know, a lot of different stuff. But, and I described in my story, um, you know, and I was originally kind of fearful of even putting this stuff out there because again, with the criminal aspects, but when I was doing methamphetamine, um, I committed an average of about 10 residential burglaries a night, um, you know, and, uh, um, never luckily running into anybody while doing it, you know, um, never got arrested for those types of things. And I got heavily into the 12 step program too, when I eventually got out of custody. Um, and you know, you hit that eighth step and that ninth step of, you know, making amends. And I remember, and I was talking to my, my sponsor about it, that I don't even know where to begin with that. Because, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you the most of the places that I did it, you know, because my head was just so foggy, and so out there. And, but that's where I started going with things. You know, I started thinking, you know what, if I can reach out, if I can help people, if I can do things, I, it was one of the big reasons I got into the industry of, of working with substance abuse, you know, clientele and stuff, was that mindset, you know, to be able to give back to be able to make my amends through giving back to our community and to our society um, by hopefully helping to curb this substance abuse issue and, and behavioral addictions and mental, mental illness as well. You know, that's well said. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, you know, for me, I think early on my, in my recovery, the, like I said, the first maybe year or two, I was, I was, I, I, I wanted people to know that I was doing well. I wanted to make amends. I wanted to go out of my way to kind of tell people, hey, I'm doing really well and this is what I'm doing. And I reached a point, you know, where I, I just, I don't know, a light went off in my head. It's, you know, my words don't mean a whole lot right now. So what I need to do is just show it through my actions and to be able to give back and I reached a point where I no longer, you know, that we talk about the stigma and the shame and everything that comes along with it. And I was afraid to go to the grocery store for a while, you know, just for fear of God. I mean, I'm going to run into somebody that I ripped off or run into somebody that I lied to, you know, and then that's, that's that shame and that guilt. Once I, once I was able to get past that and realize that I had the, the ability to help people, I just decided it, it doesn't really matter what I say. It's what I do. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why, you know, that, that thing, you know, we always say, don't, don't say you're sorry, you know, because how many times have we said we were sorry (laughs) over and over and over. And it means nothing. You know, my parents, for instance, I, you know, I've dragged my parents through hell, you know, with all of my, you know, things that I've done over the years, you know, and I mean, there were a lot of times they didn't know if I was alive or dead, you know, just would disappear and be gone. And, and, uh, you know, and, and it, it was like that, you know, you come back and oh, no, I'm so sorry, you know, but it means nothing until you can show the changes within you, you know, that it's about and, doing, it's not about saying, we can say anything, just like you had said, you know, when you're, in your, when you're out there, you can come up with all kinds of bullshit lies that, <laughs> you know, that, for uh, sure. you know, will easily manipulate people, but you can't, you can't hide your behavior. So that's where you, that's where people get caught in their lives, you know? Yeah. And you talk about behaviors and that's another, you know, <clears throat> I gambled for so many years and, and I had all of these behaviors that I had developed through the course of my addiction. And it wasn't like I just left treatment. All of a sudden those behaviors went away. You know, I, it took me, you know, a few years, I was still doing things almost by default, you know, that I used to do with, with, no, I didn't have any bad intentions, but I would, I would, I would lie about something or I would misdirect or do something. I would stop and I think, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that anymore. You know, it's these ingrained behaviors that I had that it it took a long time to, to get past that. Does your wife have uh, more faith in you today? (laughs) yeah she does she she does have she does have more faith in me we have a really you know we have a really solid foundation that we continue to build upon you know um when you for me i was exposed and and that's why i tell people that are that are struggling and having a hard time owning up to where they're at is you know the best thing you can do is expose yourself and get that's the first step for me was just once i was exposed there was nothing else I, there was nothing else for me to hide. And so we've been able to build and it's been a daily process over the course of the last six years. But once I was able to um, regain her trust, we got to a place in our marriage where, you know, we started to build that foundation again. But she, I will say this too, Eric, she, I, I'm fortunate because I've seen as have you, many addicts that didn't get that opportunity, didn't get that second chance from their 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 wife, girlfriend, boy, whatever. You know, my wife, when she when we reached a point where she was able to pinpoint what the what the core of the the root of the problem was, which was my gambling, she got involved. She wanted to learn about it. She got involved in gammonon, you know. Um this, this, you know, the, the spouse of the gambler, they go to meetings too, and they share their stories as spouses, what they've been through, what their, their spouses put them through. And she learned and she educated herself and she gave me a chance, you know, and not everybody gets that. So I, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. Yeah. I was thinking on, you know, the, the behavioral stuff is very powerful. And I was thinking, you know, when I was in custody and I remember that I, I got to a place where I said, you know what, my drug of choice was actually adrenaline and dopamine. I mean, that was my drug of choice, you know, and, you know, when I had, you know, with all of the behaviors and all the stuff that I was doing and the adrenaline of, 
you know, again, breaking into houses and doing all this kind of stuff. There was so much adrenaline that went along with that. That was difficult to give up as well, you know, and it was, it was not, so it wasn't only the chemicals, but it was all of those behavioral stuff, you know, which again goes back to high wall clean, which is we can still get high, but we can do it clean. <laughs> we can. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I've found, you know, different things and different ways to, to, to live my life now without, without gambling. And it was definitely been an adjustment because I couldn't go a day without it. And now the thought of it makes me sick to my stomach, you know, and I've, I've found other things to, to, I love my job. I love my, my family, you know, things to, to excite me on a daily basis and keep me going and, and keep me um, motivated. Do you have days still where you struggle or? Yeah, like anybody, I think, you know, I do have days where I struggle, but it's not so much because I'm struggling with, you know, the thoughts of gambling and, and the thrill that that used to, used to bring me. It's, it's the day my struggles now are, are when I take a step back and think about, wow, I still have a lot of money to pay back. A lot of restitution I'm still paying back. And I've, I've paid a ton over the last six years. But if I start to dwell on that, those are my struggles. You know, if I start to dwell on how much damage I did, even though I don't dwell on it too often, I can still fall back into that from time to time. You know, wow, look at all these friendships I, I, I ruined, you know, and I'll never get, get those back. You know, so I can, I can kind of fall into that a little bit, you know, and but fortunately I'm, I'm able to kind of snap out of it and not let it sink me. And you define like gambling as gambling. So that it's like, you're not going to slot machines or you because sports betting was your thing. So you, you lump all that together, right? Right. I don't, it's all the same to me. I mean, whether it's slot machines or sports betting, but you know, it's all the same. I don't touch it. I don't, I don't go near it, you know, at work. If somebody's, if somebody's, doing a Super Bowl thing, I, I politely decline, you know what I mean? And I don't, I just, I don't engage in it. And I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about how that looks to somebody else. Whereas before I always used to worry about how everything looked to people, you know, and it's, this is how I do it now. And, you know, I'm confident enough in what I'm doing and how I'm going about it that I, that keeps me going. So if you were to say something to, you know, people out there that are, struggling with this, you know, or having issues related to this, what would you tell them? First thing I would say is that it, it gets, it can get better. You know, the one thing I learned early on in my um, treatment was I, it seemed, it may seem dark. Now your life may seem like there's, it may seem like there's no light, but if you expose yourself and you talk to somebody about this problem, do it now and don't wait because the longer you wait, the worse it's going to get. The consequences are going to be that much more severe. But it, it, it the main thing is if it, it may seem dark now, but it will, it can get better through treatment, which I'm a firm believer in and recovery. You can get your life back. And it is, it's so interesting talking to you about this because we, I mean, you literally sound like the, could be the drug addict, could be the, you know, it's all the same thing. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I've come across people just like you have, you know, that, and I'm, 
early on. I mean, I'm only six years in recovery, so it's not like I've been doing this for 20 years. But I, um, I've come across alcoholics, drug addicts in jail. I mean, a lot of drug addicts I, was, I talked to in jail. And to me, it's addiction. You know, and and whether it's 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 meth or heroin or you know scotch or or gambling, whatever, it's addiction. And it's how do we get how do we get through this? And what can we do? And and, and we need to seek help if we if we feel like we have no help. And you know, it's that's the main thing with me. And that's important because addiction is addiction. And I like that you said that because I've seen a lot of people that you know will get off heroin or they get off meth or they get off coke and then they go start to gamble you know or they switch into another addiction addiction is addiction and it's the same thing now most people will eventually resort back to what they really like what their preferred is but that is that is a common thing you know again people get off substances then they go into some other obsessive you know disorder <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's another thing too. Yeah. I, I learned early on is, is okay, great. Well, you, let's take care of your gambling addiction, but you know, okay. So you're coming off of one addiction. There's a tendency to gravitate towards something else. Right. And so how do we manage that? For me, the, the, it was alcohol. We always, we talked about that early on. If I, if I was going to fall into something else, it would have been alcohol because I was gambling and alcohol are really they're, they're tied into it, tied together. Sure. And I was drinking too much back then towards the end of my gambling days, I would drink almost to fall asleep, you know, just to numb the pain. And so I had to watch that early on and I'm still aware of it. You know, I still kind of, it's, it's in the back of my mind. I never lose sight of the fact that I could fall into something else if I don't, if I'm not careful. Do you drink or do you, are you so I, I do, I do. But I, my wife and I talk about it a lot and, and that's, you know, that would be more of a concern for both of us now than the gambling, to be honest with you, just because that, I mean, I still do it, you know, but I'm aware of it and I don't, you know, I, I, I don't get carried away with it, but the possibility exists if I don't, if I'm not careful. Absolutely. Addiction is addiction. That's it. That's yeah. <laughs> very true. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that's why, you know, for me, I'm very careful what I take. I'm very careful in what I do because I can. I mean, I, I'm the person that can get, become a workaholic. You know, I have to watch that. I have to, you know, make sure that I'm spending time with my wife and doing the family stuff and, you know, all the other things um, because, <clears throat> it's easy for me to do that. I be, I get, you know, obsessed with something. No, I could, I can relate to that. And I do that as well. I, I sometimes work too much, you know, because I enjoy it for one, but we have that, we have that in us, right. You know, it's, it's, whether it's, it's working or, or whatever, you know, we, sometimes we can, we can take it a little bit too far and I'll, sometimes get a little bit too consumed with work and, and, and need to take a step back and realize, okay, well, it's family time now, or, you know, let's make time for your family this weekend and don't, don't plan on working or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So what do you do today for your recovery then? I mean, you said you do go to some 12-step um, Gamblers Anonymous. What are other things that you do for yourself? So I read a lot about it. I just, I, I take time. I try and take time every day just by myself in the mornings when I'm going to work or coming back from work in the evenings. I listen to um, a lot. I just listen to a lot of different podcasts. I listen to a lot of different people that specialize in addiction that know, know what recovery is like. I am not going to as many meetings now because it's just right now there aren't many to go to. And I talk about it a lot. I talk about it with, with people at work, you know, not necessarily my situation, but again, addiction in general, and that it keeps me engaged. And the more I talk about it, the more I share my story, the more I reach out to other people that are struggling, the more it keeps me engaged and the more it keeps me focused on what I need to focus on, which is my recovery. Now, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about? You know, I think the one thing that is real important to me is, is with gambling addiction, a lot of people don't realize this and I didn't either until I learned about it. The suicide rate for gambling addicts is really high. And the, it's, the reason it's so, so high is because we do so much financial damage. And so for me, I was on the verge of, I wasn't on the verge. I was in the process of planning how I was going to kill myself. I wanted to try and make it look like an accident make sure my life insurance was in place. And so in, in a sick, twisted sort of way, I was even gambling with that, gambling with the fact that, okay, I'm going to try and kill myself, but I don't know if the insurance company is going to pay it out or not. So, you know, we get to a point where it's so dark and we have, we have done so much financial damage that we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I just want people to know that one, the suicide prevention line is, is a real thing. That's important to me because if you're on the edge, you can always call somebody and somebody will, will, will help you. And so I just want people to know that. Yeah. And that's that desperation phase that you're talking about. Right. Right. You just get to a point where you can't, you, you, there's no hope. You can't see any way out of your mess. Yeah. And I think it is important for people to know, I mean, no matter, you know, how bad it's gotten, you know, there are solutions. There are people that are there to help, you know, that you don't have to do this alone. And I think that is very important for people to, to understand. Yeah. You don't have to do it alone. And I didn't, I, like I say, I, you know, the first, first couple of years of my recovery, I spent most of my time. If I wasn't at home with my family, most of my time was spent in meetings or talking with people that can relate to my situation and I can relate to theirs because that's what kept me, you know, that is what kept me grounded at that time. And so that's, that's real important. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of high wall clean. Let's keep getting high. Let's do it clean. I'll see you soon. Show the world.